Hey everyone, and welcome to The Rational Republican, a podcast where we look at complex issues facing us here in Oregon and around the nation. We'll try to address issues from a nonpartisan perspective and view our disagreements through a lens of respect rather than tribalism or divisiveness. I'm James Ball. This is Nick Perlosky. Hey listeners, how we doing? Today's podcast is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors. ProLift is your one-stop shop for residential and small commercial garage doors from openers, springs, and rollers to full reinstalls. They offer same-day service on all garage door repairs with no extra charge for evenings or weekends. Serving the greater Portland metro area, call today and set up your free estimate at 503-558-6349 or at proliftdoors.com slash Portland. Again, that's 503 558 6349 or slash Portland. On this episode of the podcast, we are welcoming Lyndon Kearns. And Lyndon and I met at the ORP event a few weeks ago, and he is a delegate for the Klamath County Republicans. And kind of the way that we got to talking is regarding water rights. Uh, he mentioned what was going on out in Klamath County. And uh, Nick and I both live in Portland. We're not really plugged into a lot of the issues that are affecting Eastern Oregon, especially you know for farmers and irrigation and ranchers and those sorts of things. So I thought it'd be really fun to to talk with Lyndon and uh, kind of get a first take of of what's going on over there and what the state is doing to help or hurt the situation, as the the case may be. So, uh, Lyndon, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. Thanks. Uh, you want to just give a couple minutes to introduce yourself and what you do and how you got involved with politics? Well, I'd say my name's Lyndon Kearns. Uh, we've lived here in Clown County since late 1880s, our family has. So interesting sidebar where family was a, they developed a lot of farmland. They drained water off of low country swamps and whatnot. And we did that here. They actually originally built Kino Dam to generate power to run the pumps to do that. So sorry, where is the dam? Kino Dam, it is west of us, uh, about five, six miles in the Klamath River. Klamath River. And yeah, so it currently, it's not a power generation dam. It just, uh, it holds water up. We have a contract with the uh, state and and well actually is with Pacific Power that they maintain a certain level of river so we can access water for irrigation. So anyway, so that's kind of and then like we've been farming here since we've reapplied and, and we're certified as Century Farm. Oh, that's been probably 12, 13 years ago. And we've been here for longer than that. But the Century Farm's interesting is that it has to be in the same family, in the same property for over 100 years. Wow. So we've been here a long time. So we've got some history and some knowledge of how things used to work before people showed up here and and how current policies are not following, you know, they talk about restoration, they're not following how things were, if that's what they're trying to do. And so, anyway. Uh, just out of curiosity, can I ask, Lyndon, how did you get involved in uh, in the Republican Party? Um, our family's been Republicans forever. <laughs> so, All right. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. 
But, you know, I mean, I think part of it is when you you're out here working the land and stuff, you you look at the policies of different parties and and to vote Democratic means you're running around with blindfolds on because their policies are absolutely 180 degrees opposite what needs to be for land management. I'll put it that way. So so now it's you know, you, you get a very. I guess you'd say a conservative tilt when you live out here and deal with things and see how things truly work, not how they work in some textbook. <laughs> what do you guys farm out there? Me well, we, we raise hay, cattle, and small grains, which is usually wheat, oats, or barley. We're high elevation. We're about 4,100 feet elevation here. So fact is today, it reached a high of 32 degrees. We had snow in the ground. So, <laughs> and to be honest, we, we can get frost any month of the year. I remember quite a few years ago, we used to be able to raise sugar beets here. And then it's a whole other story, but it was in the late 90s. August is a huge grow month for beets because they finally got size. They can really put on some size. We had 13 days of frost in August <laughs> year, so our yields weren't as good as they should have been. But so, yep, we're I say we're high elevation. You know, we'll get temperature swings from high to low, 40 to 50 degrees. That's not uncommon. So, you you kind of get thick skin living in this country, I guess. <laughs> sure. So for those those of us living in the city, um, explain to me how how the water rights work. You've got a dam that holds back water and allows a certain amount to come in to to be um, to be used for irrigation. That's so that's all I understand. Uh, yeah, <laughs> right. Well, I don't know how far in the weeds you want me to get, but so like Western United States goes by what they call call a prior appropriations. So what that means, when you, you come in an area, they will just take a creek of some sort. You get there first, you file for water rights. You get So you're the senior, right? Everyone else is junior to you. So if you run out of water, you can call a junior user until your water usage is satisfied. So that is how Western water law works. Back east, it's not that way. It's pretty much a first come, first serve. There, it's just a different situation back there. But in the West, is called prior appropriations, and that's kind of a critical thing. So what's happened here a lot is, so when folks moved west and they took over the land, you know, Indian tribes kind of got booted to the curb, so to speak. I mean, that's kind of how things happen anyway. So when they, they had these trees and whatnot, in these treaties, they said, well, as tribal, you, you have rights to a certain amount of water to, um, you know, like to hunt, to fish, to basically to survive. So they had basically time, what they call time memorial rights. In other words, they predate everybody. And so that is kind of a situation that we're dealing with here in the Klamath and the, what we call the upper basin, that stuff above Klamath Lake. So, so you is, got are the question. water rights measured in um, gallons per year or is it like a percentage? So water right, so basically like in, here we get, per, we get three acre feet of water is our 
Right. So what that means is basically you got on each acre, you, you can use up to three feet of water. We don't generally use usually, I think the most water intensive crops, according to the two lake experiment station was like two, two and a quarter acre okay. feet. So that would be like probably tomatoes, maybe onions, not tomatoes, potatoes, onions. Um, not sure. I don't think alfalfa uses quite that much. And, uh, small grains crop would use maybe an acre foot, maybe a little more. Well, so this kind of depends on the crop. Pastures, probably, it could use up and down acre feet. So, so we generally, we do, we don't use as much water as are appropriated. So, Okay. That. <clears throat> the, the Native American tribes have first first rights at the water, first and foremost, because they were here first as part of the treaty. And then after that, it kind of flows down to farmers um, based on basically who gets who got there first. Well, kind of yes, the- who who applied, who's been there earliest, who's applied, you know. So the tribal water rights, so there's some distinction here. So we have so tribal water rights is what they call an in-stream water right. They cannot take the water out of stream to use it for anything. So when they so do what they're if they're making a call, it's based on maybe fish species. Usually that's what it's about, at least in this area. It's totally about fish species. They claim they need a certain amount of water for the fish to survive or flourish. Or, and this is where science comes in and in this case total lack of it down here <laughs> so, so it's yeah it's very complicated i don't know how deep in the weeds you want me to get sure we're, we're pretty, pretty wacky podcast let's let's talk about it. let's get deep <laughs> okay well i don't want your listeners eyes to gloss over and <laughs> pass out from boredom but <laughs> We'll, well try to throw some jokes in there. And, uh. Yeah. Well, so in our basin, it's very complicated. So one thing we've got the Klamath tribes, they're mm-hmm. up above Upper Klamath Lake. And then you have a federal project, and that's below Klamath Lake at um, basically south. And then it also, that federal project crosses in the California two lake basin, which is part of our whole project, but you got a state line there, which again, Oregon has its water laws. California has little different water laws. <laughs> so it makes, you know, throws a curb in there. And, and then the other issue we've got is we've got three tribes downstream. You got the Yurok, the Kruk, and the Hoopa. The Hoopa are primarily on they're really not on the main stem of the Klamath. They're in the Trinity River, but the Crook and and the other one, they are on the mainstream. And so what they they feel, and even though again, <laughs> I guess so, they feel they need water for the salmon down there. Okay. So they want a lot of water for the salmon to flourish, but We've been doing this for 25 years and the fish population is still decreasing. There is no, nothing that has been done has helped anything here. Mm-hmm. And so oh. I got a conversation today. Go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, if I understand it correctly. So yeah. it's basically has become an environmental thing. So you have environmentalists who are saying we need uh, a certain amount of water for, for salmon. 
for instance, and they're using the tribal water rights to say to, to basically force that force there to be enough water in the the river to support those those fish species. Is that about right? Well, um, somewhat. <laughs> okay. So what the problem with the tribes in California, which is downstream, they when Oregon is going through the appropriations part, which is still are going water rights appropriations, they still haven't got that finished here. Lord only knows when that'll happen. But those tribes never applied for anything. So the state of Oregon does not recognize any water right from the tribes downstream. So how, you say, well, how in the world can they have an impact on this? Well, it's again, we got a NIMS, which is National Marine Fishery Service, who's a federal agency under the uh, Department of Commerce, they are the ones that write up the, what they call the biological opinions, which say we've got to have a certain amount of water going downstream. And then on the other side, we got the Federal Fish and Wildlife Service saying we've got to have a certain amount of water kept in Upper Clamp Lake for the endangered sucker fish. So we're caught in the middle. Right. Again, I, I think the tribal aspect of it, you're right in the sense, I believe our environmentalists are using these tribes, the tribes, whether they know it or just going along, I don't know. Mm-hmm. But the real issue is we're caught in the middle of the Endangered Species Act. And they've been doing the same thing for 25 years. And fish populations just keep nosediving. Last year, we sent, it was a terrible, terrible water year. We sent gobble water downstream. And according to the tribes downstream, they had a 90, 97% mortality rate on the salmon. Hmm. So. These, these are salmon that uh, were spawned. So, and, and so yeah, these are coho salmon coming up. And then they spawn and then the little ones going back out. That's the one they're saying 97%. And part of that, and this is where, again, when I talk about lousy science, so Upper Clamp Lake is, if you go back, look at it, it's what they consider a dying lake. It's filling up with sediment that's been doing this for thousands and thousands of years. Suckerfish is basically a bony mudfish that, what I understand, if you eat them, they taste like eating mud. So they're not something people <laughs> really want to eat. In fact, there's a lot of what I understand about the tribes did. They'd catch them and use them for fertilizer for growing something else. I mean, it, I'm Got sure it. they some of them too. But, but they've always flourished in the upper Clamp Lake when it was kept low. I mean, it would get really low. And that's historically how it worked. It would get real low late in the summer. They can survive in a mud puddle. I mean, these things are very resilient. So what's happened over the years, and this is where, again, predatory issues come into play. We, I'm, Have you heard of yellow perch and fathead minnows? No. They use, now, fishermen use them a lot for bait. Okay. Well, they get away. <laughs> and they procreate quite uh, heavily and they what they like doing in this little tiny dinky sucker fish you know you can hardly see them they love eating those so mm-hmm. they just 
wipe them out. And I really believe be keep keeping the water up in that lake, not going down, letting it, you know, drain it down is really making a situation that not only is let these yellow perch and fathead minnows flourish, but it's also creating a, a more severe algae issue than what we used to have because we keep more water in the lake rather than pulling that down like they can the natural cycle of it the natural cycle of it is it fills up in the winter and then it and then it goes down yeah. in, the, in the summer yeah okay yes, there, yeah there's a reef that with on whatever link river dam which is right there at clown falls it's kind of northwest of clown falls it held the lake at a certain level sure so that's so when they were built the dam in order to access more water they Winter, they blew a blew it down another couple three feet, so they so the irrigation could access more water. But that also allowed nymphs to, <laughs> to access more water for fish downstream because now you can pull more out of the lake. Except, so we got this issue of we got to protect the suckers up here by keeping the lake full, but yet they want all this river water going downstream for coho salmon. Now, the thing you got to remember about our water, it's not cold water. It's very warm water. It's not good salmon water. Now, so when I talk about we've been here a long time, I understand how historically things worked. So when I talk about the Keno Dam, <clears throat> there used to be a big reef there that backed the water up. And before white man ever showed up, it flooded... Well, it's roughly, I think over a little over 90,000 acres of what they call the lower lake basin here. And that water was backed up from the Keno Reef and it flooded. It basically is neighbor right across the river from us. You can still see the piers where he took a ferry from there almost to Merrill because that was all underwater. If you look at the evaporation rate of what was come from lower lake at that time, Wetlands generally evaporates up to five acre feet per year. That's what the, you got the tules, the transvaporation from the plants, plus just open water evaporation. It works out pretty close to five acre feet. That's basically what the project used for water. Even we didn't use that much water now from different yeah, pretty substantial amount. It is. But that water never made it downstream, it was evaporated away. That's how it worked here for thousands, thousands of years, you know. And now they come in, they so the barrel back in the early 1900s blew that reef out from Kino so that again they could get more water and drain drain lower lake, and also they could get more water downstream. So, are you? I don't know if you kind of seen a picture of government action and what it's caused so now flipping the saying, nope, we got to do this, got to do that, but they're not following how things historically worked here. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry, a lot, lot to take in there. Oh, um, yeah. So you, as people settled, so this, this was a cycle of, of evaporating stuff coming down. You've got, you've got government trying to keep the lake full and also keep it going down, down, um, downstream. Uh, have we just had a very dry period or, I mean, what's different now than it was, you know, maybe a couple decades ago, other than the government interfering is it um we've been in a dry cycle um <clears throat> but do you think if it started raining more would it would the kind of the situation kind of resolve itself or it has something <laughs> it would help 
But the problem is, like I pointed out, we've been in a government drought for 25 years. What I mean by that is we have no, even in a wet year, we have no certainty of what kind of water deliveries the project will get. And because you're totally at the mercy of different agencies. Now, you'd asked a question earlier about how the state can help, helps or hinders us. Mm -hmm. So... The state of Oregon has a huge, one thing you got to remember, all water in the state of Oregon is the state of Oregon's water. It's not federal water, it's state of Oregon's water. So state, here's where it gets, this is where there's been actual legal cases about this. KID, which is Crown Irrigation District, they're the main district that delivers water to all the other, well, not all, but several of the other districts they sued and said that the federal federal bureau reclamation cannot use stored water for endangered species because the state does not recognize water use for endangered species okay okay judge in marion county said yep you're right and they told oregon water resource department to regulate accordingly they they have not do it and they still ain't doing it I don't know what the recourse is there when you got, you know, they just absolutely won't do it, period. So the, wait, that, the federal government is is using stored water in environment. Uh, yeah. They're not supposed to see the state of Oregon does not recognize that. So they're not supposed to be using stored water is for one, it's for agricultural use, and you've got municipalities, and I think you also had the, like the refuges. And then I, don't know, I forget the last one, but, but it's supposed to been for agriculture use, is primarily, and they're not doing it. They're using it for endangered species. Stuff. But again, the state is not stepping up and doing anything to support us. They, I've always contended, if they actually, if we had a change in leadership in the state, is a change of governorship. We need to do something about the, you know, our legislature. We need to get that more balanced. If we get yeah. some changes some different leadership in these agencies, I think we could really help us down here. Sure. The other part of the equation I haven't talked about is the upper basin irrigators. <laughs> so that's a whole different realm there. And you're totally at the mercy of the state voting. Uh, Lyndon, can I ask, is there anybody that in Salem that you're like, you guys have kind of tried to work with or anybody who's put forward some like some ideas or some legislation that's particularly good or so far is kind of there just nobody stepping up on this? Well, the problem is with Republicans being, you know, basically a non-entity. <laughs> I don't know how you put, you know, when you got what, 40 percent of the legislature, you have no power. You, yeah, we've tried to put some get some stuff done around groundwater and stuff, but they don't go anywhere. They're absolutely, I mean, they're killed and they don't even get a, if they get a hearing, we're lucky. I'll put it that way, but they never get out of committee. So when you're dealing with a, you know, a democratic dominated legislature, you're, you know, you're totally kowtow to the environmentalists and, and water watch is a really nasty one that seems to run the Senate pretty much on water issues. So um, we are in the process, a lot of the natural resource, different groups uh, like Oregon Farm Bureau, uh, Cattlemen, um, Association of Nurseries, uh, 
then there's the uh, what's the Oregon is trying to there. There, the, basically the all the irrigation district state of Oregon. They got a uh, trying to remember the name, but anyway, they they have an organization that you know lobbies for irrigation districts, and then we also got Water for Life, which is a group that primarily has membership in the upper basin here in Glanf County. We've all, we kind of had a big meeting the other day, trying to come up with some strategies, how to, you know, if we get a change in leadership, how can we start working on not only a lot of our issues, unfortunately, spread out to the rest of the state. <laughs> and, you know, we're, I try to warn people as I don't have any answers, but these are things you need to watch for. Maybe you can, you know, just head them off a little bit. Um, so we got federal agencies that are that are requiring a certain amount of the water to to stay kind of in between the lake and the and the river. Um, well, you all, based on your, go ahead. No, go ahead and finish your question. I was just gonna say you're you're so you as farmers then, uh, based on your essentially seniority, you get as much as you are allocated and then you, it kind of goes down the line. And if there's not enough left at the end, somebody's just kind of, kind of stuck with a field full of crops they can't water. Right. Right. Okay. Yep. So, yep. so you're this, junior this, user. <laughs> yeah. So you're, you know, you're, your newest people get hit the hardest. Right. Right. And you know, the, the problem is in this situation, we've got people here who've got extremely old water rights that are shut off. I mean, we're going back in the 1860s, but mm. they don't, the tribe has that time immemorial, they predate them and they've, they've called out and they have for years. We've got uh, some property up in Fort Klamath, which is right basically at the foot of Mount Mazama, Crater Lake. Okay. Um, we have not irrigated up there. I think this will be the fifth year. And we're right. There's no reason not to, you know, we've got water running all around us, but can't use it. And so it's what, really. If you could, if you get in the legislature and uh, write some things up, um, what, what do you think would be the first thing you mentioned uh, kind of keeping the feds out of this? Um, I think as far as the Democrats are concerned, they're very interested in the environmental species act and making sure that um, environmental uh endangered species are taken care of um what what do you think would be the would be an answer well it, that's a real tough one i <laughs> i thought about it a lot and to me endangered species <laughs> well if you understand how an endangered species originally was written economics are supposed to play a big part in the decision how they're going to regulate for the endangered species that never was enforced and far as i last i heard basically been thrown out the back door so what but what happens so they come in like a community like ours they regulate on based on some biological opinion which be honest with you is is crap science um they devastate the local communities. I mean, we've, we had water shut off first one in, well, we had some minor ones. First major one was in 2001. Mm -hmm. And there was so many small communities, there's stuff that never did recover from that. And now you're, we're, this would be, so in 2020 project delivered about 140,000 acre feet of upper Clamp Lake. 
last year zero. This year I heard it was supposed to get 50,000 acre feet. It takes 30,000 acre feet to fill up the dishes. <laughs> so okay. that don't leave much. Right. You know, and we had, I don't know, I'm not sure what the total number of domestic wells that went dry because of these ditches being dry. It's several hundred. Last, I heard 300 and I heard somebody said it was, it was over 400. So there's yeah, been so a lot of groundwater. So the, yeah. yeah the, and, you know, domestic wells aren't deep anyway. They're shallow right. and they were dependent on seepage from these, from irrigation, these big ditches and stuff. And we basically, didn't had none last year and we've been say, extremely dry here so but the sad part is even with the dry conditions the way these the springs that feed a lot of these rivers we could have irrigated mm-hmm. and it wouldn't i don't think it would have hurt the fish at all it might even help them because we could have done some things i think that they're managing them completely wrong and the other thing i think your listeners need to think about you know, these agencies i don't care whether it's state federal you know those folks who make these decisions they're not accountable for anything hmm. you think about it they make a bad decision what happens to them they come back the next day and work their eight hours and you know there, there's no repercussions to these folks and, and it's really you know one thing trump had tried to do which i thought was a great idea when it was uh barrel land management he booted them <laughs> out of dc Made them go out, you know, to hire up and live out in the areas that they were managing. Hmm. So they were affected by their decisions in those areas. You know, that's the problem. We got people making decisions here from D.C. or second. They, they don't matter. And the local bureau people, they see what's going on, but there's nothing they can do. You know, it's yeah. you know, if they want to. I think, you know, in in a perfect world, you know, you have representation, you have a legislator who lives out there who represents you in Salem. But when your representative and your senator are in the super minority, uh, you probably don't get a whole lot of representation going on in Salem. We've Eastern Oregon has basically had zero representation for. Oh, heck. It's, I think the last time was in 2010, somewhere in there, Republicans actually had control yeah. of the legislature or something like that. So, 2010 is, uh, yeah, split. and it's been getting worse and worse in the last, oh, I think since Democrats really got these super majorities, it was starting before that. And I, in reality, as Kate Brown, she was a horrible legislator when it came to natural resources. She's been an absolute disaster for governor in that regard amongst a lot of others but (laughs) But. what are are some of the kind of trickle down effects you mentioned just because if if you all are not able to farm your crops if your wells go dry um people are gonna kind of abandon that area um you know i think a a a lot of and you kind of mentioned a little bit of of shelves being bare of not um being able to to have food in the cities because we rely on on you know, farms to, to, um, to grow our food for us. I think nationwide or even worldwide, you're probably going to have enough food to get by, especially in wealthy countries. You just have to pay more for it. Um, are there any other like kind of trickle down effects of, of you all's lives being made that much more difficult by this, these water situations? Well, was, yes. One thing, 
you know, you've got to remember agriculture is a business. So mm-hmm. you got land. A lot of us, we're fortunate we own most of it outright because we've been here so long, but a lot of folks don't. They got huge land payments. And if you look at the price of equipment, I will tell you right now for a basic hay operation, you're looking at all new equipment, you're looking at over a million dollar investment mm-hmm. for equipment that you hope you get seven to 10 years out of if you're lucky. <laughs> and then you got, you know, you look at the price of fuel now, it, you know, even red fuel, you're looking over four bucks a gallon. I was plowing about a month ago and I said, yeah, I'm burning about 40, 45 bucks an hour in fuel. Yeah. And that's not even a big tractor. <laughs> There's some burn way more than that. And then it's not even talking about fertilizer. It's nitrogen. So most of your nitrogen comes from natural gas. Hmm. And it has, I think, based from last year, I'm thinking it's tripled to quadrupled in price. Hmm. Um. A lot of other stuff's doubled. The only thing that hadn't gone up that we use some of this stuff is called sulfur. It's basically about the same price for whatever reason, but, you know, and then you got the other problem is availability. Now, some of this stuff's hard to even get. I, I ordered some equipment last year and it took months and months to get. In fact, as I got it, couldn't even, it wasn't even time to use. So I haven't even used it yet. <laughs> There's a a show on Amazon Prime, and I don't know if you, Nick, may have watched it, but um, Jeremy Clarkson, who was on, who was one of the hosts of Top Gear, buys a farm in England and farms it for a year, and that, and he's a goofball, and so they, you know, it's it's funny, it's joking, but um, he spends an entire, I I guess, spoiler alert for anyone who's not seen it, but he spends an entire year farming uh, this multi, like a huge multi-acre, you know, I don't know, hundred, two hundred acre. That's probably small. I don't. I don't remember how big it is, but um, he has to hire somebody to plow it for him because it's so because it's big enough. It's full time job plowing this thing, and after a year of this, he made one hundred and thirty dollars. That was his profit. <laughs> yep. Uh, after expenses, it it really kind of gave me an appreciation. I mean, it was I knew it was hard work, but just the um, the costs and the difficulty of of farming is. Uh, it's it's yeah the million, you say million dollars i saw nick cringe uh that doesn't surprise me at all buying all those uh tractors and attachments and sprayers well, I mean, oh yeah well that's not including like if you're paying you got to buy twine twine over double this year you know yeah. that's what wraps the bales together and fuel and your grease and, and then the other problem is you know, you know equipment always breaks getting parts sometimes that's a real issue now. Um, no, it it's the problem. People, you know, I think most businesses, well, your costs go up. I just charge more for the product. Well, right. we can't do that, Nick. <laughs> we're price takers. We're not price givers. So we're dependent on the market. Like mm-hmm. we raise cattle. We're going to deliver two truckloads tomorrow morning, seven o'clock. And... I don't know after feeding them all winter if we even paid for the price of hay. Yeah. I could have sold elsewhere. I mean, the price of cattle is terrible. Not, I mean, it. if you had to, if you were buying the land of all the costs of shit, they wouldn't pay, you, you couldn't make any money. Yeah. And, you know, two years ago, right, you know, right after they closed everything down, we felt lucky. We had 
couple loads of big cat. We felt lucky to even sell them. And the price was, well, it was about, I think, in the upper 90s, which <laughs> it doesn't cover anything. That was horrible. And at the same time, I heard these big packers, and this is where government regulation really comes into play. They, they'll regulate the little guy out of business. So, he, so we have, we only got four big packers left in this country. They package all your meat. One of them went down. Anyway, they were making up to 2500 bucks a carcass, and we were losing our ass on this end. So you, you get this imbalance, but so much of what we got going on is, again, a lot of these big businesses, they get these regulations in. They do it purposely because it runs a little guy out of business. He can't afford to do all that. And, you know, we just an example. In the early 70s, there were 10,000 packing houses across the United States. Now there's 2,700. Hmm. That's, that's a bigger problem just in general of regulation. If you've got lawyers on staff and you you can you can deal with these regulations as they come. And a lot of times you're right, those lobbyists will then go to DC or Salem and push some of these regulations because they know that they can handle it and their smaller competition can't. And so it just makes it, and so what you, yeah, you, you, in general, you will see a lot more consolidation, a lot more big business. And so while Democrats on one hand are, you know, talking about the evils of big corporations, on the other, they are basically making them the only ones who are able to compete by all this regulation that they shove down people's throats. It's, yeah. Uh, it's really interesting. Um but Lyndon, we are coming about to the end of the podcast. And so one of the things we like to do before we let our guests go is ask the question, who is your favorite Republican? Well, I was always a big Ronald Reagan fan, hmm. but and I I really admired many of the things that Donald Trump did. I do think he got taken to the cleaners on this COVID stuff. But I would say right now, Ron DeSantis would be my I hope I hope even in fact as I was reading the thing, they're pretty sure he'll run in twenty-four. Even if yeah. you don't win a nomination because his governorship comes up in twenty-six to stay relevant, he's got to run. Sure. And I if you look what Florida's doing, you know, I I've always kind of laughed in uh another of my favorites at Christy Nome of South Dakota. And I thought, man, if we could just engineer a trade, you know, we could just trade governor straight across, man, what a you know, she kept that state open, that whole thing and, and yeah. stuff they've been doing there. And I, you know, you look at that and you just, you know, that's, I guess one thing I encourage your listeners to do is look at some of these red states and what they're doing, the governors are doing, mm -hmm. their legislators, and, you know, they're flourishing. And we're, you know, we got a, we got a real mess here. I One thing in the meeting the other day that was really discouraging, Tom Byler, he is the, head of the water resource department. Well, he's a lame duck because you time you get a new governor, all the agency heads submit their resignations and then the governor decides, new governor, whoever that might be, decides if to keep them on or get rid of them. Well, he's at, he's, well, I'm a lame duck. I ain't gonna do anything. <laughs> so they got a $533 million budget and he's just not gonna listen to do anything. So I don't know what, you know, so this kind of goes back to this accountability thing we talked about. Right. And so 
But yeah, no, there's, we could go on a long time with some of the issues here. You know, I didn't even get it in the upper basin stuff, and they're completely at the mercy of the water resource department. I think, I think the, the takeaway here is just that there is a lot to know about. And like I said, those of us who live here in the Willamette Valley, a lot of times just aren't even aware of all the stuff going on over there. I, I like to joke that we didn't become aware that fires were a problem until the smoke blew into Portland and people couldn't go jogging. You know, that was when Portland realized that, oh, there's a, there's a forest over there and it catches on fire from time to time. And, uh, you know, people in the Eastern Oregon are having their livelihoods destroyed, their homes burned up. And, uh, you know, we, we have bad air quality for a, for a couple of weeks. Um, well, anyway, with that, Lyndon, again, thank you so much for coming on the show. Uh, I think that was that was real heavy, and I appreciate that. I did tell you to go deep in the weeds, so appreciate you. <laughs> I think <laughs> <you> that deeper. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe maybe we'll have a follow up, and you can go even deeper. So, anyway, appreciate you coming on, and listeners, we will talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to the Rational Republican Podcast. Your hosts are James Ball and Nick Perlosky. The show today is brought to you by ProLift Garage Doors of Portland, serving the greater Portland metro area for all your garage door installation and repair needs. If you'd like to get in touch with the show, you can email us at james at jamesaball.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. You can find our episodes at jamesaball.com, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcasts.